I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to John 13. My parents came to visit this week. And when my mom called and said, we're coming, I said, well, Mom, Scarlett is in Maryland. And Mom said, well, I guess you'll do. (laughs) So I'm not really sure about Eliza's children's sermon from that perspective. Grandchildren may change everything. So, Uh, but anyway. John 13 is where we are this morning. Would you pray with me? Merciful God, we give you thanks for your love, which never changes, which is unending, which showers us each and every day with grace upon grace upon grace. And Lord, it has been said that your scriptures are your love letter to us. And so, Lord, as we seek to learn more of them this morning, as we seek to study them, I I pray, Lord, that you would just enable us to feel your love permeate through these words. That it would embolden us and that it would inspire us and that it would enable us to be more like you. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The enemy is on the move as we enter into the text this morning. Judas's departure from the upper room Out into the night means that Jesus' time is short. And Jesus knows that the next hours will be definable in the minds of the disciples by words such as hopelessness, defeat, despair, grief, loss. And so Jesus must state unequivocally to shore up these disciples that victory is at hand. That truth may be lost in the fog of war that is to come, but it must be made plain now so that they understand that it will stand the test of time, and though it may be lost, doesn't mean that it is gone. Notice with me verses 31 and 32 of the text. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. What is this glorification that Jesus speaks of? It's the cross. It's the cross. Jesus will have finished his task on this earth perfectly and will be offered as the sinless sacrifice to atone for all of humanity's sins. 
It will be on the cross that God will pronounce judgment upon humanity's sins and will for end forever the tyrannical reign of death. It will be hard in watching Jesus die to see glorification for the disciples. But Jesus is telling them straight away, this is not defeat, this is victory. Don't miss the words here. And glorify him at once. Jesus is saying that the victory is already done. It is assured. You can rest in this. But boy, that's hard sometimes, isn't it? That's hard when in the fog of war of our own lives, we miss God's declaration of victory. This morning, beloved, is all that you can see and see around you defeat? Is it hard to say, as Paul said to the church at Corinth, now thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ? Instead of advancing, do you always feel like you are falling back? Jesus says here, victory is assured. Now it will be hard, and it is hard, to feel this victory, to move and operate in the power of it. The weight of the oppression of perceived defeat is mighty. And most of the time, we're not encouraged by those around us. No, it did not end like I wanted it to last weekend in Chapel Hill when we lost to Clemson. But when Clemson went ahead and, and scored that last time in the fourth quarter, I clapped my hands real loud and I said, All right, boys, we got them where we want them now. And everybody looked at me like I had gone nuts. Boy, I'd have been perceived a prophet if only that two-point conversion had gone through. Beloved, when it is dark, Jesus still says to us, you're right where you need to be. Victory is still assured. And how do we feel it? How do we proceed with it? How do we move past this point to the point of thriving when all that we can feel is sorrow? Jesus says, I'll show you how. Notice verses 33 and 34. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, it's not necessarily a new commandment. It's not necessarily a new commandment. We, we find it over in the Old Testament in Leviticus 19 that, that we are to, to love our neighbor as ourself. But, but Jesus tweaks it just a little bit. Jesus says, 
to love one another just as I have loved you. Well, if we're to love one another as Jesus loved us, what does that love look like? Well, first it's a self-sacrificing love. It's a self-sacrificing love. We, we have seen it previously when Jesus knelt with the disciples to, to wash their feet. We will see it undeniably in the next few chapters when Jesus will go to Calvary and die upon the cross for nothing he did but to fulfill the words that were said greater love has no one than this that he gives his life for his friends and I call you my friends Jesus says when Jesus goes to the cross it is a self-sacrificing love Paul will define this love as one that does not insist on its own way and therein is the question for each of us this morning. How often is it that you and I put others ahead of ourselves? How often is it that we put our comforts, our wants, our thoughts ahead of everyone else? Or how often is it that we say, it's just about me? I've got to worry about me. So I've heard it, I've heard it said this way sometimes. I have to worry about me because if I don't worry about me, no one else will. Really? That doesn't seem right because it seems like God's worrying about us all the time. We're not really worrying. He's tending to us. He's providentially caring for us. Beloved, we always have someone on our side that is mightier than anyone else that we can have. And so it is easy, in turn, to put others ahead, we should think. Jesus says to love as I have loved, and it means to put everyone else ahead of us. But it's also a grace-filled love. It's a grace-filled love. Remember from last time, the final act of love that Jesus showed Judas when he offered him the morsel. Peter will be offered the same option now. Notice with me verses 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Just as Judas did not have to take the morsel as we discussed two weeks ago, neither does Peter have to deny Jesus thrice, but he does. He does. But whereas Judas left it where it could never, ever be fixed with Jesus by taking his own life, Peter will come back to Jesus at the end after he has denied him 
three times. At the Lord's moment where he needed someone to stand with him the most, Peter says, I do not know him. I do not know him. I do not know him. And leaves Jesus alone to face the scourge of the soldiers. But Jesus will come back to Peter at the end, after the resurrection, before the ascension, and he will say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. There will be restoration. Jesus could have said to Peter, Peter, you denied me, Peter, when I needed you. Peter, when I needed somebody the most. Peter, you were not there. But loving through grace-filled love, Jesus offers it again to Peter. Beloved, how grace-filled is your love this morning? Is it always forgiving? Do you ever stop, beloved, and believe the best about someone? Do you believe they have the best intentions? Or because maybe something that has happened prior, you are always looking for the worst? It is easy. I understand it. I have relatives. We all do. We know them well, and we will sometimes talk about them in these terms. Well, you know how they are. Think about it in these terms, though. God knows how we are. God knows how we are, and yet He still affords to us grace. He still pours His love into us each and every day. And He tells us to go and love the world in like manner. The story is told of a seminary student who went to take an exam in their evangelism class. And the professor distributed the exam, and as he did so, he added the caution to read the exam all the way through before beginning to answer it. This caution was written on the first page of the exam as well. And as the students read through the exam, it became unquestionably clear to each that they had not studied nearly enough. The further they read, the worse it became. I can say I have lived this. About halfway through, audible groans could be heard throughout the lecture hall. And then on the last page was this note. You have a choice. You can either complete the exam as given or sign your name at the bottom and in so doing receive an A for this assignment. Just sign your name and get an A. And the student said, and that's how I learned about grace. I wished I could say I lived the end of this story. But that wasn't me. But boy, isn't that like us. We're going to study and strive 
and do and do and do and come up short and God's going to say, just trust me and believe on me and you get an A. And if God does that to us, beloved, why should we not do that to everyone we come in contact with? It is the same manner of love that He loves us and demands us to love others in this like manner. There is something else about this love, though. This love is grace-filled. Yes, but this love is also evangelistic. Notice with me verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world outside these walls believes that they understand that they have some comprehension of what love is. I know this because of how often it is that people in our society touch, uh, throw around the word love. They love this. They love that. They, they end every phone call. They could be talking to, to the milkman and say, I love you at the end. Everything is love, love, love. And really, at the end of it, if you would say to them, do you feel love? They would say, no, no, not really. The love of Jesus is true love. True love can only be known through a relationship with Jesus Christ. A love that is overpowered by grace and truth, just as Jesus showed. And it is the evangelistic love that is spoken of here. It is a love that is so great that it draws people in because they want to know what it is like. Let's be clear this morning. Jesus intends for us to be bound together in love, not simply because it draws people to him, though, for relationship. The love of the community of faith is intended to be the presence of Jesus on this earth. Notice with me verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. You and I know that God is love. First John teaches us that. God is love. He has bound together three distinct persons in one. And the theologians have told us for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that the thing that holds God together, the divine essence of God, is love. And so if Jesus says, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another, it stands to reason to me to believe that he intends for them, the world, to come and experience his love and his presence through the love that we show one to another because it is supposed to mirror that love. It is why I believe when Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them and bless them, that he says when two people get together, because you can, when two people get together and there's love between them, you can experience that. 
You can see that. And so he says, I'm there. My presence is there. And what is that presence? That presence is overwhelming divine love. So he says to us, love so that the world can experience me. And in doing so, in doing so, the world will be able to judge whether or not you are my disciples because I'm either going to be there or I'm not. Isn't that something? Jesus doesn't say that the world that, that people can judge whether or not we are good Christians by how often we come to Sunday school. Jesus doesn't say that, the, that we can be judged as, as good Christians by how much we give to the church. Jesus doesn't say that we can be judged by how good a Christian we are based off of how many times we've read our Bible. Jesus doesn't say any of that. He says the world, lost people, will know you are my disciples. In other words, they will see how good a Christian you are based off of how you love one another. And that love for one another is to be expressed in the like manner in which I loved you. Boy, oh boy. That's hard, isn't it? So let me upset the apple cart a little bit more. You can't get away, beloved, by saying, Well, I love them, but I don't like them. Because how often do we use that as a cop-out? How often do we say that all the time? I love them, but I don't like them. You may talk about some relatives like that. I do. I'll be honest. I do. Liza's children's sermon has inspired so many thoughts in my mind today. You can't see. You all are seeing them, though, I can assure you. We can't say that because, beloved, be truthful. Name one thing that you love that you haven't learned to like. Can you name it? It's hard. I've sat and tried to give a lot of thought to it, and I can't think of a whole lot that, that I have learned to love that, that I hadn't learned to like. Let me put it to you in a different set of terms. It's hard to sacrifice for someone you don't like, isn't it? I mean, let, let's, let's put it in these terms. Let, let's say, let's say, uh, let's say Roger and I and Mike Krzyzewski were waiting in line for ice cream and they say there's two left alright they say there's two left and I'm the one that's standing next what do you think I'm going to do I'm 
I'm going to hand one to Roger and I'm going to lick the other one, right? Because it's hard to sacrifice for someone you don't like. But Jesus says, Mark, you to buy both those ice creams. Not complain about how much Shersheski makes. And turn around. And by the way, you to say, scoop everything out from below, in the bottom. I want it all. I want the biggest ice creams I can get. And you're to turn around and you're to say, here, Roger. Here, Mike. Because that's what Jesus does. It's next to impossible, beloved, to be grace-filled to someone you may simply loathe. But isn't that what Jesus says? To love them as he loved us. And so I feel quite confident saying that, that loving someone and not liking them is impossible. And you are just trying to get out of Scripture free card. And it don't exist. And so this morning, beloved, do all of our actions show forth the definition of love? The definition of love that Paul gave. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Can the world say when they see you, that's them? Can the world say when they see how you interact with everyone else, man, they got that going on. Let me share something with you. If everyone who comes by this church and everyone who interacts with this church can't say that, we will never build community. We will never build a, a, a community of faith. A, a, and a failure to, to build community will create nothing for someone to be a part of that is larger than themselves. And that means that the community will never grow. A failure to live in the presence of love will create a culture of defeat and hopelessness that will prove difficult, if not impossible, to break. It's why Jesus says, Victory is assured. The Son of Man is glorified. And how you can feel it and how you can experience it, even when it is dark, even when you think that you have lost all hope, how you can experience it is if you love one another as I loved you. So the question this morning, 
is will your life be defined by love? Will Grove Park be defined by love? Upon this, our future rests. As I have loved you, Jesus says, love one another. Let's pray. Gracious God, we have heard your call to love, and we confess, Lord, that you have put some unlovable people in our lives, we think, sometimes. But we know, we know, we know that we're unlovable, and yet you love us. That we lack grace, and yet you shower us with it. That, Lord, our hearts and lives are such that we should never be permitted into your presence, into the presence of love, because, Lord, we, we, we won't say that we always have hate, but hate's not the opposite of love. Apathy is. And, Lord, we got a lot of apathy. So, Lord, empower us and show us where we have not your love and let us move boldly to show it to all with whom we come in contact for we ask this in Jesus name Amen is your life defined by love if not this time's for you because God is calling all of us to a life defined by love. Maybe today you don't know what true love is because you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never known what true love is because you've never met Him, the source of true love. We'll be glad to, to show you that path today. Maybe today you're saying, I want to be part of a community of faith that is defined by love, and I want to come and join with Grove Park in its mission to love Alamance County. Maybe it's something else. I, I don't know. But I know this. If God's spoken to you, He has already empowered you to meet it if you'll just meet Him to do it. So as we stand to sing, would you come? Thy humble 
Let us see. 